Or like this year, like whenever the Lakers win, he's like, you know, we really stepped up today. And it's like, who's we? Donovan Mitchell, if I was the NBA GM, I would have picked you over Luke Kennard. He doesn't have a lot of fantasy value. Defensive stats don't really translate well into fantasy. Kawhi Leonard has a bad game and people are still memeing Paul George about Kawhi's bad game. Are you saying that Doc Rivers is purposely sabotaging Paul George's career because he was once (laughs) dating his daughter and then broke up with her? Hey guys, welcome back to episode 12 of the Flashy Stats Fantasy Podcast. I'm Vince, and I'm joined here by Mike, Matt, and Giuseppe. And today we're going to be talking about the NBA playoffs. There's been a lot of really exciting series so far, a lot of historic accomplishments have been made, and a lot of great storylines already heading into the offseason. We're going to be starting off our episode here today by talking about a lot of the changes that have been made in front offices and potential changes that we see in rosters across the league, and how we think that that might affect a lot of the players in fantasy basketball this year. To start off here, I suppose we got to address the elephant in the room, and I'm wearing my Ben Simmons jersey to face the weather because we got to talk about the Sixers. There's a pretty big storyline in the first round that they got swept by the Celtics, and then after that, fired Brett Brown. For a while there, a lot of people thought that there was going to be a firing or a changing of pace in the GM or in the front office, but all we've seen so far has been Brett Brown get fired. A lot of sources are saying that Tyron Lue is a close candidate for that 76% coaching spot. Giuseppe and Mike, I know you guys don't want to talk about the Sixers and you don't want me to talk about the Sixers. So just for the sake of anybody but me saying something about them, Matt, I'm going to let you get us started here. Hopefully they make some big changes in this offseason. I could see Joel Embiid's value changing. If they pick up a, a couple more shooters, his assist numbers might pick up. I don't know. It, it really depends what direction they take this team in the offseason. At this point, they have two guys in the roster that are basically going to be untradeable just because of their contracts and how they play is not worthy of their contracts. Talking about Tobias Harris and um, Al Horford. So just starting there, it's going to be very difficult to change up a team like that because they're going to have to lose a lot of assets just to move those two contracts. So if you're hitting the reset button now, they might have to start from trusting the process next year again. I think it's more or less, hey, we need to make a new process and, you know, starting with signing a new coach, getting rid of Al Horford, who's scared of getting rebounds, and no offense, ditching Ben Simmons. Throughout that whole Celtics playoff series, Ben Simmons was injured. So I don't know if we can definitively say that right now in the playoffs, he's a big detriment to the team. And I actually think that the fact that they struggled so mightily was a good example of the fact that he does help them a lot defensively and playmaking and everything of that sort. I totally agree with you. We we saw this yesterday when we were playing 2K. Their inability to spread the floor, that's great that he is a good playmaker, but outside of Embiid scoring in the paint, you know, him dishing the ball outwards to the three-point line, no one no one can really shoot, score. As a result, it's just congested. I feel like he's – I'm not going to hate on Ben Simmons anymore. I do respect his game, but I feel like in the 76ers system, unless they change it, he's not the right player for them. What do you system do you think? The trade rumors that the Cavs were looking – at acquiring Ben Simmons, basically like them, like giving up the boat to get him. I saw like a, something about that and it actually made me a little sick. Who would the Sixers be getting? It was like the first round pick and I don't, it was, it was a lot, but it was not enough. If I were the Sixers, I would not be taking picks at this point. No offense to their previous draft picks. They've been pretty bad. So if I were the Sixers, I'd try and get some players who can spread the floor and create on their own and play more around Joel Embiid rather than around Ben Simmons. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see once next season gets up, because if you guys remember, at the trade deadline, they did trade for Alec Burks and Glenn Robertson III, 
And both of those are supposed to be like those shot creator type, can space the floor, can hit threes. And they really didn't get a lot of minutes in the playoff series. Like Raul Nato was getting a ton of minutes. Obviously, Tobias Harris was taking a lot of that time, and he didn't really live up to expectations during the playoffs. And it seemed like they had the pieces that were there, especially if the team was fully healthy, to at least make a solid series out of the Celtics, and it just wasn't being adequately utilized. So I'm interested to see what kind of roster changes they're going to make because regardless of how we feel about how it's going to impact the team on the court, fantasy values will definitely go up and down depending on how that happens. Like Matt said, like if they are able to get a team that better suits Joel Embiid, like a spacing key, more like the 2010 Magic that had Dwight Howard and a bunch of shooters around them, then that's going to bring his value up a lot. He's going to be probably more efficient. He's going to get more assists. It'll just be a better system for him and probably for Ben Simmons too, assuming that they keep him. But if they continue to go the way that they have, there's going to be a lot of inconsistency basically throughout the roster. I think we're, I mean, I love trashing the 76ers, but I think we're taking a little bit out of the series that they play with the Celtics. We have to consider the Celtics are playing extremely well right now. They're a well-coached team. They swept the 76ers, but the 76ers gave them, all things considered, not having Ben Simmons, they gave them a pretty tough time, even though they got swept. It kind of reminded me of the Pistons against... Do not say Pistons against the Cavs. It kind of reminded me of the Pistons against the Cavs when they played one versus eight. I mean, we got swept, but the series score did not tell the whole storyline of that series. And I feel like that was the same thing for the 76ers. I finally saw Embiid actually look determined and wanting to win. Not like he hasn't before, but I thought he he really took a big step during that series, just that he can be a leader on a team and he could be the number one option, even though they didn't win. And fantasy-wise, I don't think he's hit his peak yet. I don't think Joel Embiid's hit his peak yet at all, fantasy-wise, career-wise, anything. He is a phenomenal player. The only concerns with him and the reason why I think that there are a lot of rumors around there that they are going to trade Embiid is that he's very injury-prone. Yeah, I think it's – and by the way, I'm loving the optimism I'm seeing around the future of the Sixers here. This is a rarity for me, and it's really a beautiful sight. But I think that we need to make sure that we're not being too quick to – play to like you know in 2k how if your team's not good you're immediately like all right let's change everything like i think that we need to remember the fact that yeah simmons and mb they're not a perfect fit right now together and there's a lot of issues around that team but they're both really young and there is still a lot of talent there is still a bright future for that team i don't think we're anywhere near time to blow anything up and i think that just getting rid of a couple of those poor contracts and replacing them with younger players that are able to space the floor kind of like what the Miami heat did you guys remember like the 2016 free agency they signed a lot of players to less than ideal contracts like Deion Waiters and Tyler Johnson and James Johnson all got big contracts. And since then, they've worked to surround their star, Jimmy Butler, with players like Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero, who are younger players who can shoot really well. And that's obviously working out really well for them. They're on the verge of making it to the conference finals. So I think that a move like that for the Sixers, if they can have a coach who can lead that team and a GM that is able to put those pieces together – could lead to something great out of this team with the piece that they have. Hear me out here. Like I mentioned that before, Al Horford, you're going to need to give up assets to get rid of his contract. Like that's how bad the contract is. I just thought about the scenario in my head. Imagine the Pistons had Christian Wood for maybe on a one to two year contract. They send Christian Wood and their pick this year, their seventh pick for Ben Simmons and Al Horford. So they get rid of their Al Horford contract. Then they get Christian Wood on a much cheaper deal, and he's able to space the floor. He's a much better player than Al Horford at this point in his career. And I think he could work really well with Joel Embiid. I know you're losing Ben Simmons. Pistons might have to give up 
another few picks or something, but I like the way that trade sounds. I really don't see the Sixers doing that ever. Like the seventh pick is a gamble and Ben Simmons is a transcendent passer and defender. And even though he can't shoot, like I said, that's something that you can develop. Like I don't see him getting traded for even like if they could do Ben Simmons straight up for like the second or third pick in the draft, I don't see that happening. I know we like Christian Wood and he's really nothing close though to what Simmons has been for the 76ers these past couple of years. And as a Sixers fan, I really don't like that. As a Pistons fan, I would like it. At least we can keep Ben Simmons in the family. Something could be brewing there. I mean, not saying that it's going to happen, but I'm saying if I was a GM, I'd be expressing my interest in Ben Simmons and Al Horford. I would give a lot for those two. The, the trades that I've been seeing involving Al Horford were like the Sixers putting together Al Horford in like their first round pick this year or something like that in return for like another team's either lower first round pick or like second round pick or something like that. Just like adding a pick to sweep the pot. I, could also Which I think it's, I think they're going to do that. Like, I don't think that they intend to keep Horford. I don't, I don't think Horford is like a useless player or anything. I just think that his value on the Sixers really isn't being utilized. It's not, but he's also 34 years old on that 76ers team. They try to be quick and play the ball quickly. And he was completely not. I can see something also where 76ers give their first round pick and Al Horford to someone like the Sacramento Kings for Rashawn Holmes. I do love Rashawn Holmes. All right, I can hear Mike silently brewing in his chair, wondering when we're going to get over the Sixers. So <laughs> I think we should move on to another team here that we that we have seen some changes come out of that we think is going to affect for next season. Does anybody have any teams that they've been eyeing in on recently that they want to talk about here? All right, we're going to talk about my Brooklyn Nets. I've been a fan since their relocation to Brooklyn. It's going to be a very exciting team to watch next season. With the rush they have right now, adding Kyrie and KD, I don't think they're going to get out of the Eastern Conference Finals, but I'm excited to see what they're going to do in the offseason. And one move that I was surprised with, and I know a lot of people were, was the signing of Steve Nash. Steve Nash was an awesome basketball player. I think he had an amazing IQ for the game. I think the Nets took a big risk on signing him, but I think that, honestly, it was the right move because Kyrie and KD both kind of wanted a coach that they could coach, similar to the Cavs signing Ty Lue. LeBron James was kind of able to puppet him, and I think that's what KD and Kyrie want to do with Steve Nash. They'll be able to talk him into doing things that they want, whereas there are coaches in the league like Budenholzer, who's very stubborn and will not play his players more than 32 minutes because he thinks that his bench players are good and they should play, whereas Steve Nash might just say, KD, Kyrie, you guys play 40 minutes a game. Let's see what you guys can do. I mean, I don't know if that's the best move for the Nets in a sense, if that's the way you see it going from a durability standpoint for KD coming off what was a horrendous injury and Kyrie being constantly injured. I feel like they are going to need a little bit more of a structured system and to develop their younger players of that roster. It's not just going to be the KD Kyrie show. I don't know how well they'll mesh together as players. The one positive note I see out of the Nets is that I expect a huge jump from Karis LeVert despite playing alongside Kyrie and KD. Unstructured, high-scoring team, obviously with the new head coach. It's going to be tough to find their their kind of niche. Like Miami Heat are the hard-nosed, hard-working team. The Bucks are, I don't know, the Bucks. I can't really figure it out. Boonholzer every year, he makes like a good team for the regular season. But when it comes to the playoffs, I think he's too stubborn in his ways. I don't think he adjusts as well as other NBA coaches. And I'm scared to say that like 
I don't expect Steve Nash to be able to adjust like an experienced NBA coach. He's going to just leave the reins to Kyrie and KD. Fantasy-wise, I think that might help them, but I don't think that it will help the franchise's success as a whole. Yeah, I actually heard that a big reason why Steve Nash actually got that head coaching job in the first place was because he was a coaching consultant for the Warriors when Kevin Durant was there. And a lot of people are saying that this signing had a lot to do with KD saying what coach he wanted to play under. And so, yeah, I definitely see fantasy-wise how this team becomes very high-scoring but very top-heavy, where, Ky- where Kyrie and KD get a lot of the minutes and the touches. I do see a couple of guys like Karis LeVert and maybe Sensor Dennity, if he's still there, getting some volume. But I think the fantasy nets that we knew and loved that could have seven players scoring double digits in any given night might be a thing of the past with this signing. And obviously, it's way too early to tell. We don't know anything about Steve Nash coaching philosophies. And as a player, he was very pass-first and quick pace with the seven seconds or less sun. So we don't fully know how that team's going to shape out just yet, but it is looking to be, at least fantasy-wise during the regular season, very top-heavy for next year. From an unexperienced Steve Nash, the basketball IQ is there. I don't know if he's going to be able to coach it. Yeah, we could definitely see another Jason Kidd coming out here. I thought he did pretty well with his first head coaching job be the Bucks. Like, the team wasn't very good at the time. He had the emergence of Giannis during his time. So, I don't know. I think Jason Kidd is a better coach than these two. And I think it's just as exciting to see potential future Hall of Fame or Steve Nash being the coach. But there are some other basketball minds that I think the Nets passed up on. And a lot of it has to do with making Kyrie and KD happy that the Nets are doing everything right at the moment and yet you do need to keep your stars happy the Nets have a very deep team even though it may not seem like it and so the fact that they're putting in a coach in place to make their players happy I think is very good for their franchise and I feel like the Bucks and the Sixers are very similar in a sense that their teams lack a lot of depth and are very dependent on their starters playing well as a result it's seen as a coaching issue yeah, it's going to be really interesting in the next couple of years to see how the Nets are able to keep their role players that kept them doing well and kept them near the bottom of the playoffs for the past couple of years while they still have those two stars in their team. Like we're gonna, We might start to see guys like Spencer Dimity has already expressed that he wants to leave Tums offseason. If we see him go along with a player like Joe Harris and a player like Jared Allen, the soul of this Nets team may be lost and it might be a little bit of a chemistry issue going forward. As of right now, there's nothing that really indicates that, but it's going to be something really to monitor as this offseason gets going. I mean, provided that they lose those players, there's always time for Nicholas Claxton to shine. Just saying. Let's go. <laughs> I say get rid of DeAndre Jordan for whatever you can get. Start Jared Allen and back him up with Claxton. That'd be amazing. That's a NBA championship winning team. Let's have DeAndre Jordan go back to the Mavericks and then renege on that and go to another team. I totally forgot that he went to the Mavs. He's been bounced around a lot just because he's such he a terrific He was there for 12 hours. He was there for 12 hours. <laughs> he was there for literally a day. They made him shoot a million free throws, and he said, I'm out of here. Yeah, I thought that was going to happen when Drummond went to the Cavs, too. That would have been hilarious. No, Drummond, Drummond needed to get his money. That's all he cares about. Yeah. Hey, man, he's got to pay for his braces somehow. <laughs> and, and the wax for his shoulder hair. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about some teams that are actually in the playoffs. I want to talk about this Nuggets-Jazz series because that was super exciting. And actually, I don't know if any if any of you guys saw it being that close. I didn't. I think I had the Nuggets in five or six and it ended up being a seven-game series. The Jazz blew a 3-1 lead. We saw Jamal Murray and Donovan Mitchell become Michael Jordan versus Reggie Miller in the 90s. 
we, we talked in our bubble episode about the Nuggets are one of the deepest teams in the NBA, or at least that's how we see it. And it ended up being a lot of star power going against each other. So so I thought that that Nuggets-Jazz series was really, really entertaining. What did you guys think about it? I really liked the series. And I, I understand that it was very star heavy. And it was dependent on, you know, whether Donovan Mitchell went off for 50 or Jamal Murray went off for 50. Or, I think that I had the I had the Nuggets in seven. I thought it was going to be a very close series, especially with, I know it sounds stupid because Jordan Clarkson's such a small role player. The Utah Jazz desperately needed that energy off the bench in, in, in a scoring sense. And I think that that really helped them in that series. Obviously, I owe Donovan Mitchell an apology. I, you know, viewed him as a very average shooting guard, which clearly he proved me wrong. But I expected it to be a good series. Oh, while we're on the topic, happy birthday, Donovan Mitchell. If you're listening to this podcast right now, happy 24th birthday. You had an amazing playoff series. Donovan Mitchell, if I was the NBA GM, I would have picked you over Luke Kennard. Donovan Mitchell, if I was the NBA GM, I would have taken Luke Kennard and I would have been involved. I was one of the people that was not expecting a very close series. I expected the Nuggets to take care of the Jazz very quickly, especially because the first two games, Mike Conley had his child and was out of the bubble, so he was unable to play. I thought that the Nuggets would take advantage of that, win the first two, and kind of steamroll the rest. But I was pleasantly surprised about this series. This was one of the series this year that I would rewatch. I would go back and watch every game because every game was very close and very exciting. I was really excited about the Jokic versus Gobert matchup, but it became the Murray versus Mitchell matchup. And I think fantasy-wise, this is very exciting to see. And I'm looking forward to potentially having some of these guys on my team because after that series and these playoffs, I think Jamal Murray has emerged as a potential top 10 point guard. And we've spoken about him before. And I don't think we gave him the credit that he could be a top 10 point guard. The things that I was seeing coming out of him were amazing and I think that we didn't give him enough credit for that and same with Donovan Mitchell I think we gave him the credit he deserved but he still exceeded my expectations you're saying he deserves more credit now at the time you were right in your statements but now you've seen seen the side of him that we didn't think we were gonna see I'm saying that I think we gave him the perfect ranking when we ranked him but I don't think we gave him enough credit with the ceiling that he could potentially have on a given night I would agree I think Mike Conley, like you said, Mike, you brought up Jordan Clarkson as well. The role players in the Jazz really stepped up, and there was all those jokes about how Mike Conley had a kid and had that dad energy like Fred Van Vliet the year before, and how that was propelling him in that series. But there was a lot of role players on both teams that really stepped up, and while there were like Jamal Murray and Donovan Mitchell going off like every night, there was also a lot of other players that were stepping into the fold and really making a really entertaining series. And it was also really cool because we got a taste of mid-2000s, like, extremely defensive basketball and how that translates. I know that one of the games of this series, the score was literally like 80 to 78, which is not a score that I anticipated seeing. I think that seeing how defense is just as important as offense has been like on full display in this playoff, especially like with the Jazz. And then as we got in the second round with like the Rockets versus Lakers series as well. Wouldn't you consider, that's why it was so interesting to me to see such a low scoring game. That was game seven, by the way. It was so interesting for me to see because I would consider the Nuggets an offense first team. I, I wouldn't, and I would consider the Jazz a more defensive team. So it, it's really weird to see how some games you see the offense take over and some games you see the defense take over. I think they're both equally as important. With the Nuggets, none of their players, as far as I know, are specifically known for being extraordinarily locked down. But their team is full of really lengthy athletes. I mean, looking at, I mean, starting with Jokic, like yeah, he's 
notoriously kind of slow, but also a really crafty basketball mind, which makes him not a poor defender. And then you have like Jamal Murray, who's very athletic, like Gary Harris, Michael Porter Jr., Bull Bull, Grant. even Paul Millsap. These are all like really lengthy and speedy defenders. And I think that when they all work together, it's one of those things where the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. What about Jeremy Grant? I think he's actually a very oh. good defender. Yeah, no, and totally. I think that he played a big role in the winning that series. I think that he has played well everywhere he's been in his career. And I think that he found a perfect spot with the Denver Nuggets. And I think that he will be a viable fantasy option later in the rounds. He'll be, he'll be the Jonathan Isaac of next year. Definitely a sleeper pick. That's a, yeah. bit, that's a bold prediction. I, I respect that because... He has the defensive capabilities just as much as Jonathan Isaac does. And I think he's just as athletic. So, like, I, I respect that. Yeah, I mean, I was a little bit too early on Jeremy Grant. I drafted him when he played for the Thunder. And I thought that his outbreak season was going to happen then. And then he went to the Nuggets and had, you know, a mediocre season. And I think that next year's the year that he finally found his home and he's going to know his role and take that step. My only concern with... Grant is just the playing time with Michael Porter Jr. playing a lot better. I don't know how that will cut into his rotation, but if he gets the minutes, I think that his ceiling is just as high as Jonathan Isaacs. I think that they're a perfect combo or duo in a sense that they play opposite times on the floor, as in like Jeremy Grant is a great defender, whereas Michael Porter is predominantly offense. And so I see them as completely opposite players and it works perfectly provided that they're played correctly. And talking about Jeremy Grant being drafted by the OKC Thunder, OKC, their GM, has done a phenomenal job in the past 10 years. I don't know if he's been there for all 10 years, but I know that the organization has drafted some great players in James Harden and Russell Westbrook. Now I see that they're drafting a lot of very good defensive players. Like someone that has really emerged during these playoffs is Lou Dort. And I know that Matt is a bit, very big fan of Lou Dort. I want to see what he has to say about Lou Dort. After watching the Thunder Rocket series, he's something special, honestly. I can see him potentially turning into a star in the next five, six years. His defense is really, really, really fun to watch. I've never seen a person move so quickly laterally in my life. He is the only person, I think that can actually give James Harden a problem defensively. And I was extremely impressed by that. So for the OKC Thunder, his defensive skills really help out the team. But fantasy-wise, I don't see him making too big of an impact. I don't know who to compare him to. Maybe Marcus Smart would be the comparison to where he can kind of blow up in some games, obviously scoring 30 in Game 7, but also because it was in the Rockets' game plan to leave him open. Let Lou Dort make a few baskets, and we're going to take KCP and SGA out of it. Somehow, Lou Dort managed to pick the full-strength pie chart in 2K, but also have a max lateral quickness. I, I don't understand it, but... What would you compare Lou Dort to? Like, where do you think his floor would be next season? And where do you think his ceiling could be? I feel like he's going to be one of those players where he's just really good in real life. He doesn't have a lot of fantasy value. Defensive stats don't really translate well into fantasy. So he's going to be the Andre Iguodala of the Golden State Warriors. Got it. Yeah, um, basically. He'll hit 1-3, but also go 2-for-8 
if he could translate his defensive ability into defensive stats like blocks and steals, he could be a great streamer, at least next season. I don't see him taking the step scoring-wise. Giuseppe, I'm surprised that I got overlooked for our de facto Lou, Lou Dort fan of the group because I watched, like, the first game that actually, like, suited up for the Thunder. It was like, why did I watch that game? I think I must have, I must have had somebody in fantasy playing, and I saw him, and I was like, wow, this guy's incredible defensively. We saw him come a little bit into his own offensively against the Rockets there in the last couple of games, but you're right. It was because he was getting left wide open. And so I don't know about fantasy-wise how he's really going to stack up. I actually think that of their young talents, the player that we're going to see have a big jump next year fantasy-wise is going to be Darius Baisley. Dort, I think he's one of those players that will get like four steals every third game, but he's not really going to provide in too much else except for those rare games, unless he takes a big step offensively, which, again, none of us really see happening. I think he's going to be more so a streamer in the defensive stats, and he's not going to be like incredibly efficient or consistent for the next year or two before he really has like his breakout campaign. There are some really good plays where he really impressed me with his strength and just athleticism to score at the basket against the Rockets. If they put in the game plan that they want to get him going and scoring in the paint, then I think that he could be a decent fantasy option, maybe one of those last guys on the bench. But if he's shooting threes, he will not be on my fantasy team. But if he stopped settling for threes and he was driving to the basket like he was in game seven, he could be a decent fantasy option. Yeah, but you got to respect that game seven, like five seconds left, he is like, you know what? I'm the guy who's got to spot up and pop this three right now with James Harden in my face. You got to respect that. That's some Dion Waiters type confidence right there. You can respect the confidence, but I don't want that on my team. I also think that with Dort, I just don't know if the Thunder really need another shot creator. Like, I think that they need, out of somebody like him, a 3 and D type player. Like, SGA and CP3 are already so good at creating shots for themselves. Having a third player like that is always helpful, but I don't know if he's ever going to be utilized like that with the Thunder. Oh, no, absolutely. He's not going to be creating his own shots. But if he can develop offensively like Jalen Brown, I think that that would be my comparison to his ceiling at the moment. Offensively would be Jalen Brown because I think that Jalen Brown came into the league very athletic, just as Lou Dort is, but he was also raw. Talk about this Heat versus Bucks series. What? The fact that I was the only one out of all of us that put the Heat over the Bucks in the Eastern Conference? See, Mike, you can't just make all hot takes and then when a couple of them stick, be like, see, I knew it. Because you also had the Trailblazers going to Game 7. Yeah, I mean, they, they went more than four. So basically, same thing, right? That's what I thought. You also have the uh, Raptors winning the championship this year, which is looking increasingly unlikely as this game that's going on right now progresses. That's fine. There's always game six. Jimmy Butler said it best when he said we got a bunch of dogs, but I did not expect that. I really thought that the Pacers were going to take the series in seven, and I was really wrong about the Heat. I think that the Heat just gave the Bucks one of those games, so that way it wasn't awkward when Giannis was uh, declared the 2020 MVP. I think they just gave him that game, so that way it wasn't super awkward for all of the NBA fans out there. Gentlemen sweep. Giannis yeah. is leaving the Bucks this season. I'm calling it. You break the hearts of NBA purists everywhere when you shop Giannis like this in your head. I'm sorry, uh, but he's done everything he could with the Bucks. They really screwed up this season. I, I don't know how they went from the best defense to being unable to guard someone like Duncan Robinson, but it's unfolding before my eyes, and I think that he's going to be leaving. Him and his son Liam are going to 
Golden State next season. I would love that. I'd love that as a Golden State fan, especially when we draft James Wiseman. Golden State will go right back to the Western Conference Finals easily. Anyway, back to this Miami Heat-Milwaukee series. I think that Jimmy Butler saying that they have a bunch of dogs on that team is a very PG-13 way of saying what he said, or pandemic P version, or playoff P version, or pathetic P version, whatever you guys want to say. Nah, bro, pathetic P is Pascal Siakam right now. <laughs> Did you see the guy he kicked in the face? I don't know who it was. Who, who got kicked in the face? I think it was Daniel Tice. I don't even know how to say his name. Daniel? So irrelevant. He's not irrelevant. Celtics fans love that guy, dude. I don't know why. He's the Aaron Baines of the Celtics. It's funny. And he's a beast. But actually, speaking of Daniel Tice, I think that the Celtics finally found their starter in Robert Williams. I was really excited when he got drafted. He never really got his opportunity with the Celtics. And I know that a lot of Celtics fans I know were high on him, and they're saying he's a good shot blocker. He kind of reminds me of Mitchell Robinson, who I'm also high on. But I think that... Robert Williams will be in the middle of the pack centers next season, but you can get him for virtually nothing. I think that he'll have the ability to bring you a bunch of rebounds and blocks, and he'll also shoot a good field goal percentage. So I think that if you're targeting a late-round center, I think that Robert Williams will be a great option. Hold up. Let me get my notebook out. I need to write this down. Yeah, write this down. This is championship material right here. Bro, currently Robert Williams has played five minutes and has one rebound and no other stats. What are you talking about? Playoffs, I said next year. Do you think he's going to start next year over Tice? I think so. Wow. I, I really think Mateus fits really well in with the rest of their starters there. He's going to do flashy, but like, I think he gets the job done really well, actually. I don't even understand how the Celtics operate with Gordon Hayward, Kemba Walker, Jason Tatum, and Jalen Brown. Dude, I don't even know how there's enough stats to go around with all those players, let alone adding in another center. And saying that he's going to provide fantasy value, I mean, I love it. I mean, Giuseppe always picks sleeper centers, and I am the worst drafter of fantasy centers known to man. And when we rank our centers, I am going to go off of whatever the best recommended list is because that's how bad I am. Best recommended list is going to have Rashawn Holmes in the top 10. And don't let anybody tell you otherwise. I really hope not. In the last four games that Robert Williams played, he played 13 and a half minutes, shot 70%, had five rebounds, and... 1.8 blocks. That's pretty I, solid. I think that's really solid. That's Mitchell Robinson. And like I said, that's only playing not even 14 minutes. And I think that if, if he can get in the rotation, maybe not even start, but if he's playing 25 minutes a game, he's at, he's averaging two blocks. He's going to average maybe seven rebounds and shooting 70%. Obviously, it's not going to be that high, but you know he's shooting over 50%, let's assume. I'm, I'm going to have to take your side on this one because – Especially when, I don't know if you drafted or traded for Mitchell Robinson, I thought you were the biggest idiot. And somehow, I just knew some way, provided the playoffs didn't get canceled, he was going to carry you to a victory and I was going to eat my words. Yeah, I was a really big fan of Mitchell Robinson. I just don't understand why the Knicks will not play him more than 20 minutes. I think it's... He falls out. Yeah, I think it's... I think that he gets overexcited and tries to get too many blocks, but... I got to respect the guy. If you're going to play 20 minutes, then at least go out firing. Yeah. Yeah, he's one of a very small percentage of players in the NBA that it's literally never afraid to get dunked on. It's like him, Jared Allen, Giannis, maybe Bam. like Brandon Knight, for sure. <laughs> Brandon, Knight. <laughs> Brandon Knight says, try to ruin my career with a dunk. I was Jordan watching was. that 
game live, and I think I'm still shocked by that dunk. When DeAndre Jordan dunked on him? Yep. Or, or when Kyrie crossed him over? Or when... Yeah, exactly. There's a list. I don't even want to get into that. He, he had like a game-winning layup, and he completely missed. It was oh like he was wide open. He just Don't bring it up. He's still, the Pistons. He's still on the Pistons right now. I don't know how we got him back. I know how we got him back, but I don't know why we even consider getting him back. Like, oh my god. I can't believe we got him back after all that. Because we said we finally got Josh Smith off the payroll, but let's not forget our roots. I think the world is tired of hearing about how bad Paul George is. Everyone knows how bad he's going to be, but we know he's going to be a top five option. I mean, we we know that. He he always is. And I just, I hate how much hate he's getting. I mean, people are, Kawhi Leonard has a bad game and people are still memeing Paul George about Kawhi's bad game. Like, oh, I'm in the clear here. He had a bad game. Like that's actually pretty funny. I know. I was I, I, I was on Twitter and I was just like himself playoff K. Yeah. <laughs> playoff the problem K. is that he called himself playoff P and he also hasn't gotten past the second round. In the event that people don't blame Paul George, which I don't know, probably won't be the case, like is there ever a point in time where it's finally like, okay, Doc Rivers has to go? Is he ever the issue? Are you saying that Doc Rivers is purposely sabotaging Paul George's career because he was once <laughs> dating his daughter and then broke up with her? Because that could very well be the case, but I don't think it is. Paul George is 0 for 10. No, leave him in there. Leave him in there. <laughs> like, he's like, he comes up to the coach. He's like, we're playing this. We have this play. It's going to Paul George. Please double him. <laughs> Paul George for the game winner. He's 0 for 23. <laughs> Bro, Doc Rivers has been the problem for me since he gave Austin Rivers a contract. Bro, he doesn't even have his son on the team anymore. I think that I think he made up for his mistake. Yeah, but Austin Rivers is balling out. Yeah, everyone on the the Rockets are balling out. Dude, PJ Tucker is balling out. PJ Tucker's a beast, but it's still. PJ, I think when Jared Dudley looks in the mirror, he sees himself as PJ Tucker, <laughs> <laughs> and not the bald dude from Space Jam. <laughs> what, Jared Dudley? Yeah. Why are we like, talking uh, about Jared Dudley? Like he hasn't been he hasn't been relevant in like ten years. Dude, he keeps himself relevant. He's so good on Twitter. Oh, is he? He keeps himself relevant as a meme, just like yeah. the Brooklyn Nets bench. Yeah. Like, literally, <laughs> yeah, like when he got beef with Ben Simmons last year. Or, like, this year, like, whatever the Lakers win, he's like, you know, we really stepped up today. And it's like, who's we? <laughs> no publicity what? is bad why publicity. They, why do they interview him? They'd no, rather... he tweets. Oh, he tweets? Oh, okay, yeah. that's hilarious. He's like, yeah, I'm just, you know, a veteran leader on this team. It's like... You are? You got Rondo there, man. Playoff Rondo, plus 28. That's pretty impressive. Rondo's another one of those guys that you could get late in your draft, and he will average six assists, but also nothing else. I tell you what, Rondo is the biggest fantasy headache of all time. I don't care what you're saying. I don't care if he's late in the draft. I don't care if he's your last pick. Do not take him. I don't care if you have zero point guards on your team. That's a lot coming from the guy that had R.J. Barrett. And I said that having RJ Barrett on your team was worse than having no person in that spot. I traded Kawhi Leonard and Miles Bridges for RJ Barrett and Pandemic P. But what so I'm saying is, I, I, I see, I you should have dropped RJ Barrett because he was that bad. I did drop him eventually. I held Good. on to him way too long. He was more of a headache than Rondo ever was. Dude, we could definitely make, we could technically make an entire episode and maybe nine entire episodes on just headaches on your fantasy team. But I think we might get sued. By the Charlotte Hornets. 